1: shroud he finds his domain. A vampire stalking, blood pumping through his veins. In a darkened alley where lamplight fails, his hunger grows as night's dark cloak prevails. Eyes like embered coals gleam with dark intent. He hungers for a taste his dark thirst never spent. Silent as a wraith, He moves with ghostly grace, drawing nearer to his prey in that forsaken place. Moonlight offers glimpses, revealing pale white skin. As he closes in, the prey feels the dread within. Heartbeats quicken, fear casts its blinding spell. In the alley's depths, where terror starts to swell. With a predator's grace, he descends from the night, cloaked in dark allure, a sinister delight. (laughs) Whispers of his breath, like chilling winds caress, as he sinks his fangs the prey's final distress. In the alley's death, a life's essence fades, as the vampire feeds, In dark, unholy shades, a tale of terror where evil takes its reign. In the shadows' shroud, he leaves his haunting stain.
2: (laughs) Greetings, my fellow galactic travelers. And welcome back to Planet Eight. This is your mission commander, Larry, speaking to you from our hidden base. Chief Engineer Bob is here by my side as always in the command center. And circling Planet Eight in our orbital spy satellite is reconnaissance officer Karen. And on this episode of Planet Eight, we're still in the spooky season. Halloween is right around the corner. This is there. That's right. If you're watching on our YouTube channel. And I highly recommend you do. You would have just saw Chief Engineer Bob's very chic, very cool trick-or-treat shirt, (laughs) which falls into play because our Halloween season this year, we're going to continue with our vampires. Our prior episode was the birth of the vampire. We talked about Nosferatu, Dracula, and the Spanish version of Dracula. This go round, we're going to talk about some of our. Well, if not favorite, what we thought were interesting vampire films,
3: (laughs) um, And 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 some may have a different opinion on what was
0: interesting
2: (laughs) and what was not. But we'll get into that.
0: It's it's all in the eye of the beholder. (laughs) Well,
2: Yeah, we'll get into our picks and why we picked them. And uh, you know what? Let's just throw it up to the satellite. Walker, take it away.
0: All right. Thanks, Larry. Well, I'm going to start off with what I think is a surefire winner. Uh, I, I was going to say modern, but I realized this is like now what fifty year old, forty year old. <laughs> this is what I think of as modern. So this is a a uh, actually what they considered to be a mini series. It was a two part movie, 1979. I am talking about the Great Salem's Lot.
2: This, so, this is, if nothing else, it's a modern classic. How's it's that? A,
0: yes, nice way to put it. Modern classic. <laughs> I gotta say that when I was a kid, and this came on TV, this was like the big talk at school. The next day, you'd you'd watch it, and the next day at school, everybody's like, "Did you see the little kid at the window and he's scratching at the window?" And the other kids got the cross, and everybody, you know, it made a real impact, and it still has like really powerful imagery in it. It has a really great story. So it's based on a novel by Stephen King. Um, Yeah, it's just a a great story uh, that apparently came about because King was talking to his wife and saying, well, what would happen if, you know, Dracula showed up today in our world? And his wife said, well, you know, he probably take a boat to New York and step out on the street and get run over by a taxi. So then (laughs) King was like, well, maybe what if he went to like a small town? And so with that as like the germ of the idea, he wrote this, this great story. Now the movie does um, kind of stray away from his story a bit, but still at the heart, it has a lot of elements that, you know, if you read any other Stephen King books, you'll, you'll kind of see some similarities. King has a tendency to sort of, Um, integrate himself into the story. And so the main character, Ben Mears, is this writer, not surprising, we see that in multiple Stephen King stories, um, who lived in this small town of Salem's Lot, which is in Maine, although they filmed it in California. They filmed it in Ferndale, California.
3: Ferndale?
0: Ferndale. And so... Uh, he had had this weird experience when he was a little boy, about nine or 10 years old. There was this a creepy house called the Marston House up on this hill in Salem's Lot. And he had gone inside and and thought he saw a vision of this person hanging uh, in the, inside the house and that the, the body opened its eyes and stared at him and it totally freaked him out. And he just was always convinced that this house was like pure evil. And so he and his family had moved away from Salem's lot when he was a little kid. And then as a writer, he felt this urge to come back and and see the town and write about the house. And so, uh, so he's one proxy for Stephen King. The other proxy is there's this young kid named Mark Petrie um, who was played by, uh, was it Lance Kerwin, I think, who people will remember as like, what was the name of the show? Uh, something at 15. The, there was, <laughs> anyway, there was a show with this kid. Um, obviously, I don't have it in my notes. But anyway, um, and then the younger kid is also sort of a proxy for Stephen King because he's a really smart kid who is also a bit of a writer, but he's into things like magic and monsters. And he's like painting all these great Aurora models in his room and stuff. Um, so we have these two disparate characters who will be brought together because of events occurring, because there's a stranger shows up in town, Mr. Straker. And he uh, opens this antique store and he said, oh, my partner, Mr. Barlow is going to show up. And so anyway, if anybody's seen it before uh, you recognize that eventually all the different people in the show are kind of in the town are pulled together through the machinations of uh, Mr. Straker, because Mr. Barlow is actually a vampire and he is one of the coolest looking vampires. He's basically looks a lot like the vampire in Nosferatu only I don't know, like amped up ten times. He's like really satanic looking, really demonic. And for me I kind of feel like that's the way vampires should look. They should not be like these suave gentlemen who can, you know, mix with society. They should look like Hell beasts, you know. So, and he makes quite an entrance in the movie. That was another thing all the kids were talking about. And did you see? It? And then he, the ball came through the window, and then the ghost stood up. Ah. Everybody was freaking out over that too. So, yeah, I don't want to like go plot plot detail by detail in the plot, but I do want to say that um, I think that vampire design was really impressive. I think it made an impact on, you know, a lot of other people uh, further on in, in future movies. And yes, you could say it was derivative of Nosferatu, but they did a lot of other things with it. Another neat fact is that the actor who played uh, Mr. Barlow was Reggie Nalder. Now, Reggie Nalder also was in Star Trek, and he played the Andorian ambassador in Journey to Babel. So
2: got your mouth. Yeah. Are
3: you serious? I <laughs> oh, am. Yeah. I did oh. not know that. He's I'm just a
0: kind that. of a thin, creepy looking dude. Or he was. So he was perfect for that kind of a role. Um, so I think, you know, it's a, it was a really well done film. I think it had all these great elements in it that some of them were very stereotypical, you know, with like the spooky house and the stranger in town and the children disappearing. But it was all put together in a really impressive way. Um, I know one of the things with like the kid at the window scratching, they basically put a kid on the back of like a crane and blew smoke around him and then they filmed it in reverse. So when he's swooping in, they're actually pull, they had pulled him back and the smoke had like been blown in but it looks like it's sort of forming around him. So it gave it a really weird, otherworldly look for his movement. Say, Toby Hooper, I listened to his commentary. Have to say, not the most exciting commentary. So <laughs> I wouldn't, the, the Blu-ray is a bare bones disc. So if you get the Blu-ray, you're, you're not going to get a lot of special, basically, you're not going to hate anything special. Toby Hooper's commentary <laughs> is
3: on
0: it. Um, and he mentions how they did these effects. Um, You know that he didn't want to do wires because wires are too obvious and everything. So they came up with this crane effect and doing it backwards and stuff. Very effective. Really looks like creepy and otherworldly. Um, you got to so, give him
2: credit though as practical effects on a TV budget.
0: Right. It, it was the most money he had to work with. I think they said four million, but still, it was very limited. Most of the money's going to some of these um, right. big name actors right they, they had James Mason as Mr Straker so he was a well-known film actor they had um uh uh Sol, David Soul
3: David Soul fresh time, off of Starsky and Hutch
0: right he was he was very well compensated at that time um so you know they they had to do it all practical but I mean it looked fantastic and even watching it again you know it's very effective because most of it is suspense they managed to build the things up a lot so anyway that's that's my first pick i don't i know we got to get through a few other things but i just wondered if you guys had any thoughts
3: well on i mean so it, it. yeah i saw it when it came out on tv and uh same not thing a theater. Here. not a theater <laughs> not on tv um Same thing, though. You go to school and everybody's talking about... See, when it came out, 77, right? 79. 79, okay. Mm -hmm. I was 19 at the time. Yes, I'm an old guy. And uh, not quite too far removed from the years that I spent at friends' houses sitting there making the Aurora monster models and uh, collecting those. So... Seeing this and seeing the kid in his room painting the monster models, I'm like, yeah, that's me right there. Mm-hmm. Instant recognition. And I was instantly able to uh, to get into that part of it. But then to see the kid fly up to the window, yeah, that was... That, I think that had the biggest impact in the whole, series, in the whole two-night movie for mm-hmm. me. Because, yeah, it was... Two, in two two-hour time slots, back to back, two evenings. So you take out the commercials, and it's probably what about an hour and forty minutes per. Yeah, movie. Like so you know, yeah, you are three hours and a chunk of change. So um, I didn't get to watch it for this episode because I didn't have three hours and a chunk of change. But um, but I do remember it. I do have it on DVD. I did watch it not, not, not too long ago, but uh, yeah, I always I was always a big fan of Starsky and Hutch, so I always liked David Soul. Although, back in high school, a friend of mine, her best friend was David Soul's niece, <laughs> and so there was that kind of connection there. Although she didn't have a lot of nice things to say about David Soul, but Ooh. yeah, okay, we'll save that for like. Planet 8 gossip episode or something. (laughs) (laughs) But I enjoy, you know, spoiler alert. At the end, he and the kid go off like they're going to be vampire hunters. And I'm sure it was trying to set up maybe a follow up series or a sequel film or something, but I don't think that ever really came to be.
0: Yeah, not with the cast. I think they did some sort of thing years later, but.
3: I think they did like a remake or something, but... There
0: was also a remake, yeah. But
3: that was an actual movie, right? It wasn't like
0: a... I think it was another TV movie. Oh, really? Okay. That they did, yeah. Maybe with Rob Lowe. What about you, Larry?
2: You know, I remember... So around that time we had... Or or before Salem's Lot, Kolchak, The Night Stalker, The Twilight Zone, Outer Limits... um, Night Gallery, you know, there, there was there was some macabre and, and horror on TV. But yeah, this had an impact. It was everyone was talking about it. Like you said, you know, next day you go to school. The um I always say this, this is pre CGI. So it was practical effects, Um, you know, filming some of the scenes backwards or, you know, having the actors move backwards and then replaying the film and it gave it this otherworldly, odd kind of texture and feel. Um, it, it was just so good. And even after all these years, um, I would say if you have not seen the original Salem's Lot, you you really need to um, dedicate a, a, a bit of time um, if it's on freebie or I'm, I'm not sure where it's at, um, we'll talk more in the sensor sweep about uh best buy discontinuing physical media um but it, you know if you have it on you have the ability to get on dvd or you know whatever i i would and uh enjoy it, it it's a great moody film to watch around halloween as well so oh, yeah definitely uh, yeah you you hear anyone scratching at your window and it's a kid don't open them
0: <laughs> don't let that kid in <laughs> <That's right. laughs>
2: yeah but uh, very enjoyable yes. um you know and it's funny because if you think about it at the time this was like a two night you know like cbs movie night or abc at the movies who was doing you know something like that at the time yeah Nobody.
0: and it's funny too because even though like different people had gone after the rights there were a lot of folks who said you know, this may not be filmable. They weren't sure that they could take that book and actually turn it into, you know, a, a, at first they thought about a movie and it was like, ah, it's too, too long. And so then it went to TV and uh, there was still some question about, can we really turn this into a TV, mm-hmm. you know, a TV movie? And yeah, they wound up doing the two night thing. Um, but, it, you know, they did a great job.
2: It holds up today. Yeah. Okay, cool. Let's uh, let's move the vampire train along. Let's kick it back to the chief. Bob, what do you got for us? Well,
3: being that I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and spent a lot of time in my youth, my summers out at the boardwalk in Santa Cruz, ah. I had to choose the Lost Boys. And uh, Lost Boys... Was written by Harvey Bernard and directed by everyone's favorite Joel Schumacher, who, uh, as you may well know, did Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Uh, but he also did a movie called Eight Millimeter, which I thought was really good. And I would recommend people watch Eight Millimeter. But um, it was also, like I say, written by Harvey Bernard. And he had written all the Omen movies as well as The Goonies. So when you're watching The Lost Boys, it's almost like a compromise or a combination of The Omen and The Goonies in feel and, and texture. Um, but basically, it was originally supposed to be directed by Richard Donner. Oh. And Richard Donner came in and he had, all, he had also directed the Goonies. Mm-hmm. So he wanted to make this like another Goonies. He wanted the cast, he wanted the Lost Boys to be like 12 or 13. And then the Frog Brothers, who are sort of the vampire hunters of the story, he wanted them to be like eight years old. And they'd be <laughs> running out the vampires like, you know, a la the Goonies. So he was into this for a little bit and then ended up going on to other projects. And that's when they brought Joel Schumacher in. And, uh, he decided to make it a little more adult, a little sexier and, uh, make all the, uh, you know, like the lost boys themselves are probably late teens. Uh, the frog brothers are probably early teens. And, uh, I think it, it worked really well. And it's got a great cast. um, and, again, it was shot in Santa Cruz. So a lot of the scenes were in Santa Cruz, but they also went to Palos Verdes Peninsula in L.A., which is where the cave entrance was, where the mm-hmm. Lost Boys had their little hideout. And then uh, they also went to Santa Clarita up by Magic Mountain, which is oh, where yeah. they filmed, if you remember the movie, is where they filmed the scene where they're all hanging off the bridge with the, railroad, with the train going over it. Yeah. And, uh, and that was a great scene as well, because below the bridge, it wasn't just water. You don't see water. You just see fog. And you can't see what's down there. So as they let go and they fall into this mist, you have no, no idea where they're going. But uh, I just thought the Lost Boys, it was really enjoyable. Um, of course, the Lost Boys themselves were named after... The Lost Boys and Peter Pan. Mm -hmm. And the other Peter Pan connection was that uh, basically when Schumacher came in, he was thinking about the connection with Lost Boys and Peter Pan. And the whole idea was sort of, well, if Peter Pan comes out at night and he's eternally young (laughs) and he can fly well, what if Peter Pan was a vampire? So they just kind of took that and ran with it. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I thought it was really good. You know, It's a lot of, you know, a contrast between the Lost Boys, late teens, motorcycle group, trying to recruit the one brother, and then the younger brother kind of taking up with the Frog Brothers who were running it, basically working in a comic book shop, And uh, they were basically vampire hunters. But it's funny because when I was watching the Frog Brothers, I told Debbie, I'm like, who do they remind you of? The way they act and the way they know everything about the vampires and that. And if you watch them and think to the X-Files, they're very much like the lone gunman. (laughs) The lone gunman of Santa Clara, murder capital of the world. So I would recommend The Lost Boys if you haven't seen it. Very stylized and very cool.
2: Um, yeah, I hadn't seen it for a long, long time. And it, it to me, has a Goonies feel to it. Um, there's some frights, to be sure. but um, And then there's some good jokes, some good humor, especially with the... Corey Feldman, and um, I can't think of the other actor's name, but uh, you know, they pretend like they're these badass vampire killers, and then when the doodoo hits the wall, they're like, what? you know. Um, <laughs> well, so anyway, of-
3: they, when they first finally come face to face with vampires, they're, all, they're not in their coffins. They're all hanging upside down from the top right. of this cave. <laughs> and they go up there, it's like, well, they're asleep. We can stake them. And then, of course, one wakes up and they're like, oh, my God, they
2: yeah. had to run out of the cave, and get chased out. What's cool, too, in uh, watching these. Vampire films with Jasmine. Um, you know, she doesn't watch half the crap that I watch all the horror and sci-fi and so she started asking, well, why aren't they in coffins? Because up to that point, all the vampires had some form of yeah. coffin. Some of the coffins had native soil. Um, and I'm like, well, th- these are different kinds of, of vampires. And as we go through the films uh, tonight, uh, there, there's different rules to different depending on the kind of vampire that they're portraying in in the uh, movie. And uh, she was like, oh, she says like Twilight. I'm like, those weren't real vampires, but yeah, like <laughs> Twilight. Um,
3: Okay. I can guarantee you, none of us picked a Twilight.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's um, not going to make a list.
2: But it was it was cool, you know. Um, they invited spoiler alert. They invited the head vampire because he's dating their mom to dinner, and so when they <laughs> fed him raw garlic, uh, it it didn't hurt him. And and his reasoning, or you know, the the rule was that, well, you invited me into the home so you have no power over me. So the crucifix, the garlic, all that stuff didn't work. Mm-hmm. It did later on, when he wasn't invited. Um, but, you know, they all have their yeah. their own logic, so. But a fun movie. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. The yeah. 80s soundtrack, so, you know. I was going to say. Very much an 80s soundtrack.
0: Yeah, this is very much an 80s film for me. I remember seeing it when it came out, and... Um, a lot of the musical choices were interesting. Uh, I remember Echo and the Bunnymen doing the Doors song. The People mm-hmm. People are strange.
3: Yeah,
0: and it, That was when there was sort of a resurgence of interest in the Doors. I remember Rolling Stone had done that big cover with Jim Morrison saying that, well, something like he's the sexiest man, dead man or something like that. And I felt like Jason Patrick, they sort of with his hair and everything, like they were kind of going for that Jim Morrison look. Um,
3: And yeah. And Keith or Sutherland uh, is a head vampire. Mm -hmm. And uh, well, aside from dad, but
2: um, yeah, I thought he did a great job. Yeah. You know who was, uh, I forgot Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. And I can't think of his name. Uh, played one of the vampires, a very oh. badass vampire. What's that?
0: Yeah, you're right. It's. Yeah.
3: Uh, I can't Bill. think of it. His... There you go. <laughs> yeah.
0: It's uh, what is his name? Gosh, uh, let's see. Can I find it quickly? No, I can't find it quickly. But,
3: but yeah, I mean, all the vampires are you know, handpicked by wow. Joel Schumacher and uh, he had a great job in the casting and uh, and some of it was like when he first saw the actor it's like I don't know if they're really what I'm looking for but then after an audition he he zero in okay this person's definitely this character
2: but uh, Alex Winter thank you yeah.
0: Well, it's a very stylized film. I think one of, well, my second pick is also a very stylized film. So, you know, sometimes with vampires, I think uh, there is that element of you want a certain look and you want a certain, you know, feel. And Lost Boys definitely has that in spades. So, yeah,
2: yeah. And, you know, again, with with Jasmine, it was interesting because. Giefer didn't bite anyone, he just gave him a jug of his blood and he drank it like wine, and then the process began from there. So it, it's interesting as we like I said, as we go through the films, there's going to be different uh, ways of becoming a vampire. And, mm-hmm. um, it's a fun little uh, adventure to take on um okay so uh Lost Boys check it out if you haven't my pick what I tried to do is I tried to go uh with other than American vampire stories and one of my favorite TV shows stems from a movie a mockumentary that's right what we do in the shadows and this is a movie from 2014 i'm going to butcher some of the names um that's what happens when you pick international films (laughs) Jermaine clement and uh one of bob's favorite directors taika waikiki uh waititi um and you know they consider this movie the first installment of the franchise i think it became more popular on tv and Mm -hmm. so then it gets the franchise, you know, uh, but basically, the film's plot concerns several vampires who live together in a flat in um, Wellington. And if you watched any of the MTV, um, I, I don't know what you call them, like Jersey Shore, or uh, and and they just have a film crew following people around, eating, pooping, and going to work. <laughs> you know, uh, that's kind of what they did here. And so the documentary crew follows four vampire housemates which is interesting because when they transition to the TV show they they recast the uh the actors and and added some and subtracted some but in the movie it's Viago Vladislav Deacon and Peter and um they all possess you know vampire powers uh, they can levitate they can transform into animals they can uh, hypnotize and they have a familiar uh the familiar helps them you know find victims cleans up afterwards does the shopping i guess would pay the bills and and whatnot but um it, it's a fun movie it's it's definitely humor There, even the gore i i know walker is kind of aversive to a lot of like blood splattering we we did the evil dead and she was like oh that was just too that, much that was tough yeah yeah this has some blood it has a lot of blood in some scenes but i i did it bother you walker the the vampire scenes or not
0: not not like Evil Dead. This because of the humor, I think. It, you know, I can live without it, but it didn't kill
3: me.
2: They um that you know there's there's a group of werewolves that they have a problem with <laughs> vampires and uh, werewolves, and so they have a friend Nick, and Nick gets uh, bitten by a werewolf, and it's kind of like you know the ending of the story is kind of accepting, you know uh werewolves and vampires but what was cool is at the end of the movie deacon shows up and he attempts to hypnotize the audience to forget you know what they saw in in the film so it's kind of like a little marvel you know wait till after the credits scene um i don't know if i made it that far yeah.
3: <laughs> <laughs> i mean, once the credits came i was like good
2: <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it was
3: it was when kind of a hard, off. it was a hard watch for me. Mm-hmm. Um There were some interesting parts. I liked Peter. Of course, he got killed off. He, he but, did. Uh, yeah, I was just, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm jaded against Taika Waititi and his, his other films I've seen, which, yeah, we've talked about some of them before. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm hoping if we ever get into the TV series that it's a lot better than the movie, but um, it was it was rather a hard slag.
2: I think the TV show is similar yet better Yeah. than, than the movie.
0: Yeah, um, I, I agree.
2: Yeah. I was going to say
0: I, I like the movie, but I really, really love the TV show.
2: I, yeah, I enjoy the movie. I think it's different. I think... Um, You know, it is a basis and a foundation for what they do in the TV show, Mm
0: -hmm.
2: um, which is so good. But we're not doing TV. We're doing movies. (laughs) So I I went with this. Um, So you've seen this movie before, right, Karen?
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's it's fun. It's interesting. Uh, A little different. Mm -hmm. And um, if you guys haven't seen it, uh bob won't recommend you do but i will (laughs) um i was joking around earlier one of my picks was going to be ganja and hess but we've already covered that film so
3: (laughs) yeah there's no chance i'll watch that
0: (laughs) (laughs) not even for the podcast (laughs) we'll watch it again
2: well let's go ahead and kick it back up to the satellite walkie what do you got for us
0: okay So my second pick, second and final pick for the evening uh, is a 1983 film called The Hunger, directed by Tony Scott, little brother of Ridley Scott. Oh. So this film is highly stylized. Um, Basically, I, I might say it's style over substance. Um, But but I I think there's a lot here to like. I would not say it's a perfect film by any means, um, but I think it's a very interesting film. Um, Tony Scott, this was his first uh, motion picture. He had worked in commercials and videos. Uh, before this and you can kind of tell you know there's a a certain video sensibility to it if you you know really watch the cuts and the framing this guy is really concerned about you know the lighting and you know the angles and every scene is set up a certain way and the production design is very specific and so it is you know maybe more about how things look than about the narrative you know it's most of the time I'm going to be more focused on the story but knowing what I'm getting in this it's it's okay to me that maybe it's a little bit more about the visuals um he went on to make Top Gun, and Days of Thunder, Man on Fire, and Crimson Tide. So he, he went on to make a lot of other really great movies. Um, I think part of the issues with this is they compromised on the ending. So I'm not going to go through every detail of the story, but for those who haven't seen it, it features um, Catherine Deneuve as this basically ancient vampire And she has a human, well, she has a companion who initially is David Bowie, who is a couple hundred years old. Um, As vampires, they're not like a typical vampire. They don't have fangs and they don't, they can go out in daylight and everything, but they do drink blood and they usually, they have these little onk necklaces that have a knife inside and they lure their victims and then they cut their throats and drink their blood that way. Um... But apparently they get, Miriam's uh, uh, partners get eternal life, but they don't get eternal youth. And at some point during this time, as they're living with her, they start to age rapidly, but they don't die. They just stay as like withering husks. And she has a whole attic full of her past lovers, that are just laying inside caskets, decaying, which is pretty gruesome. Um, so another major player in the film is Susan Sarandon. She's a doctor who's investigating aging, ways to control or stop aging, and so they just happen to like be in the same city. Um, and then Miriam takes an interest in her, but initially, uh, David Bowie's character goes to her to see if she can help with his aging. And that doesn't happen. Um, He winds up becoming decrepit. Miriam puts him in a box in the attic. (laughs) Then Miriam begins to pursue Susan Sarandon's character as a potential next partner. Um, So. I think one of the problems with the film is, I guess, they wanted it to be sort of this metaphor about addiction. And how destructive addiction could be. But the ending, they tacked on this ending where Susan Sarandon survives. Yeah. You know, where she was supposed to have taken her own life, but then she winds up showing up later. So it kind of negates that whole thing about, like, oh, I don't want to be an addict and live forever. And so and, and
2: instead of becoming a husk, she's now a vampire, so she doesn't have to worry about becoming yeah, a husk. Again, this is that rule thing, but...
0: Right. The rules are a little wonky because it's like, okay, so she kind of offed herself, but then she didn't die. But then Miriam. Anyway, I would say (laughs) probably best not to worry about the rules in this one. Just watch it for the visuals. I know Larry's going to bring up the doves, (laughs) but it's 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 an interesting film. The, The opening is really cool because they're in a nightclub. And the band Bauhaus is playing, and they're playing Bella Lugosi's Dead. So yeah. I, you have to see it just for the first five minutes. Yeah. Um, but it has a lot of interesting visuals. It's maybe a slog for some. Um, but the first five minutes are definitely worth it. And um, and a different type of vampire story, definitely an 80s film. So if you like the 80s, you might like it. But um, yeah, and oh, and just a warning. You may not want to watch it with your mom or your kids or whatever. <laughs> there's a lot of sex in it. There is also lesbian sex in it. So if that's an issue for people, just be warned. So there's my, my second pick.
3: Yeah, this, this is actually the first time I've seen the film. Hmm. I hadn't seen it before. And... Uh... No, I thought I thought it was definitely interesting. Um, I was kind of looking forward to see David Bowie, but he didn't last too long in the film. (laughs) In fact, in fact, after that first scene, Debbie was walking through the room. I want to say, "Hey, you recognize the actor playing?" And then it's like, "Well, do you recognize the actor that's under all this tons of makeup?" (laughs) (laughs) He was like unrecognizable by that point. Yeah, but uh, no, I I think you know it was. Pretty interesting how uh I think they they spent the longest time on him as far as her companions. Um and at first I was kind of like, okay, so why is he aging? Is he not feeding or is he is there something else going on? Because they don't really explain it other than yeah, he's aging and then mm-hmm. he aged out. But um I don't know if there was a a background story or a novel or something where they told why she doesn't age and all her companions do I don't know
0: Yeah I remember so that it's based on a novel by Whitley Strieber who is probably better known to people for writing the uh Communion books about his experiences with space aliens um but
2: one of my favorites <laughs>
0: And I I did read it many, many years ago, and I can't remember if there's anything in the novel that he does get into her history more in the novel. But I don't know if he explained the whole process in the novel or if it was left, you know, uh, more mysterious. Um, I just know from kind of watching it a few times, and I did listen to the commentary this last time, Tony Scott was a little more interesting than Toby Hooper. Not a lot more, but a little more. <laughs> um, they had Tony Scott and they had Susan Sarandon on the commentary. And I think they do explain that all of her partners eventually begin aging. And when they do, they it like catches up to them very quickly. Um, but they won't die. They'll, they'll just always remain like these decaying husks. So it's a pretty... Terrible.
3: So, so here's the question for you guys: If you could become a vampire and you know you have eternal life, but is it worth it if most of your eternal life is in a husk? I mean, yeah. maybe you can probably get more youthful years out of it, but then if you're going to wind up like that and locked in a coffin in a attic somewhere. It's yeah. worth it.
0: Plus, you got to take you got to cut all the bodies up and put them in garbage bags and throw them and you got to have a big fire somewhere. It's it's real. it's too much work.
2: <laughs> it's just too much.
0: It's too much. It's too much work. What do you think, Larry?
2: I uh, yeah, husk, there's I, David Bowie, all those guys were living a miserable life. Um, so, no, I, you know, I, I'm more of like a vampire Lestat where, you know, you just kind of go and go to sleep for a while, wake up in a century and just kind of acclimate to, you know, Blu-rays instead of VHS, or, you know, whatever the modern, you know, parts of living are.
0: I want to be like a- Loncini Jr. in Son of Dracula and be able to coffin surf down the swamp.
3: <laughs> he's
0: the coffin and he's just like going down.
3: <laughs> I, I did I, think it was interesting when uh, Bowie and Deneuve were talking, you know, when he's still youthful. And the whole thing is, I'll love you forever and ever. And then it gets to the point where he's pretty old. And he asked her, you know, will you love me forever and ever? And she can't answer. And then he says, kiss me and she tries. But then she's like, I can't do it. And then at that point, he realizes that. Forever is not a long time and forever is over
2: right now. (laughs) Yeah. Her forever and his forever or the other false promises. Right. Right. Right.
0: She, She knew what would happen eventually. But she wants companionship, so she lies yes. to them.
2: Well, I, and he asks, you know, kill me, kill me, and I think there's a part of her that does love him, and that's why she hasn't killed any of, of them, unless she's kind of, like, living off of what's left of their essence, as well as the blood. I don't know. I I'm just, you know.
3: Well, she has her companions, but then there's also... Her victims, mm-hmm. two totally different things. So, yeah, the victims can be bagged up, chopped up, thrown in a fire, but the companions she keeps around,
2: right? And once they become husks, they could be thrown in the fire too. But, but she doesn't. So, and because
3: well, there's their companions, there's that relationship. The others are just arbitrary victims that are disposable. They're
0: we'll just we'll go with that. Happy Meals.
2: <laughs> One of the things that caught, you know, we're talking about the style. This kind of reminded me of Blade Runner in, in some of the scenes, mm-hmm. the way that it was just kind of altruistic and and kind of, um, you know, it could be any time. There, there, it, it, it's not like the Goonies where you're like, oh, this is an 80s movie, you know, um, <clears throat> which was kind of cool. Um, but damn, there were a lot of doves in that film.
0: Yeah, Um, there are a lot of doves.
2: Was Prince filming on the next set and they just... (laughs) Well, here's my last
3: question on this film. (laughs) Yes, sir. David Bowie was definitely a slim white Duke in this thing. So was he that way because that was his style at the time? Or did the movie influence his style at the time?
0: I think he started that prior to this film.
2: Because it was like, what, China Girl and Modern Love. That was was after this film.
0: Yeah, I think his thin white duke stuff started when he went to Berlin. And I want to say that was late 70s, early 80s. So I think it was concurrent. I think he'd already started that stuff.
2: I, I no. will say, of all the actors, I loved his portrayal. I'm not a big, I, I'm a Bowie fan of his music, but his acting, is. Mm. Um, but he just really nailed it. Um, and how he knew that he had hours left and was telling Susan Sarandon, 20 minutes, uh, I'll wait, 20 minutes. And, and in a period of two hours, he aged like 50 years.
0: That you really felt the sense of tragedy with what was going on. And yeah. then it was it was weird though, because it's like he's still this this um hunter, this, this, you know, like when he's in the washroom with that guy and he's thinking about trying to kill him, you know, but he doesn't know if he has the strength to to do it still. And he's like eyeing that guy. And the guy is probably thinking like, what is this pervy old man doing? Not realizing this guy might kill him. You know, he's just thinking he's like a weirdo or something. And so on one hand, it's like you feel bad for him. And yet it's like, oh, he's a murderer. You know, Um, it's an interesting balance that Bowie was able to make you feel sympathy for him, even though he's a killer. And just like when he takes that girl the, the, so that, the violin player yeah yeah it's horrible you know but he's just also very pathetic too
2: he's desperate right and um the ending was was brilliant all the husks coming out and just kind of
0: if they had just left it that way right with them all attacking her and then her going i think that would have been a perfect ending
2: yeah but the way they ended it
0: yeah, yeah kind of mixed message i don't i don't know not not a great ending but otherwise i i think it's an interesting film
2: definitely um well we're going to go from uh, artsy fartsy to one of kakos's picks (laughs) um (laughs) from the artsy fartsy film vampire film to my not so artsy fartsy actually this is kind of artsy for me um let the right one in this is the original um from back in 2008 and it's a Swedish romantic horror film again pardon my pronunciation by Thomas Alfedson. and it's based on the 2004 novel of the same name by John Adjvide Lindquist who also wrote the screenplay for the film and the film tells the story of a bullied 12 year old boy named Oscar Uh, who develops a friendship with a strange child uh, in a suburb of Stockholm. And, um, you know, Oscar is uh, bullied. And uh, he he when you when you see him, he looks like he gets bullied. (laughs) He just has that look, the poor kid. And um, the film opens with him like with a little pocket knife stabbing a tree saying, you know, squeal, piggy squeal or something like that. And there's this uh, what appears to be a little girl on the monkey bars. And, you know, this is like winter. So there's snow and he's bundled up and she's just there and like, you know, dressed in a sweater. And um, they have this brief conversation like, what are you doing None of your business? Well, I don't want to be your friend. Well, I don't want a friend. You know, they're 12 year old kids. And so they're they're having that kind of banter. And so he goes to school. Uh, He lives with his mom. And uh, I, I guess they had separated and you know, his father lives uh, on a farm and um, Ellie is uh, is the the girl's name who happens to be a vampire. And they don't really get into her history in the film. I, I want to get the book, um, but she's like a 200 or 400 year old vampire. And, and she was made into a vampire when, you know, 12 years old. And um, <clears throat> She has a an older person who she moves into the apartment apartment. And, and I think it's pronounced Hawken. and um, he's probably in his 50s and he goes out killing for her and, and he pours the blood um, into uh, some kind of a container and then she's able to drink the blood. And um, at some point he messes up very badly and uh, the police come in and and he had I don't know why he had acid, but he pours acid all over his his head and is admitted into the hospital. And she goes to him and and she's, you know, he's screwed up a couple of times. This was a big screw up. And he basically sacrifices himself at that point, you know, gives her the and then he he leaps to his death. Um, so this is a this is a very graphic um uh, no comedy really whatsoever. Uh, right, there's
0: nothing humorous. I was thinking about that.
2: N- no, n- not at all. This is, this is kind of makes you feel uncomfortable, almost like Psycho. Psycho is a very uncomfortable movie to watch. And, and, and you have to give the actors credit, especially these kids. I don't know. I, I don't know if they were 12 when they filmed this, but um. Anyway, uh, they they, I think they do a great job. Um, So at that point, Ellie no longer has a caretaker. And um, she tells Oscar, look. When these kids bully you, you hit them back and you hit hard and they will leave you alone. So um, she's trying to figure out what to do as far as food goes. She tries attacking adults to various degrees of success. But then the police again get involved. And uh, whereas Oscar, this this kid's bugging him out on the frozen lake in the field trip with the school and he takes his stick and he knocks the kid in the head, cracks his ear. The kid's like Wah! and Oscar's like, this is great. You know, he's not going to bother me anymore. And at some point, Ellie comes to his house. His mom's working at night. And says, "Can I come in?" Vampire rules. And he's like, yeah, "Come in!" And she crawls into his bed with him. You know, it was like two in the morning, and he's like, uh, "You're cold." She's like, "Yeah." And you know, whatever that conversation is, and and Ellie says, "I'm not a girl." Does that bother you? And Oscar's like, "No, I'm fine with it." <laughs> anyway, <laughs> excuse me, sorry. Um they they wind up falling in love and and it turns out that ellie is a a unit it was was um castrated fully um as a youth when whoever the vampire was that made her into a vampire and uh what was what was kind of an interesting scene to me is oscar you know she she tells him look i'm a vampire and then blah blah, blah. and he says um she's like i can't come in unless you invite me and he's like, "Oh well, I, I guess you." Don't. So she, he convinces her to walk in without being invited, and she starts hemorrhaging from her ears and her eyes. And that and was like, really oh, interesting. Hey, come in. What, what's that?
0: That was really interesting scene. Yeah. Never seen anything like that before.
2: As far as the vampire lore goes, and but it to me this the the love story really spoke to me. In this, doesn't matter. You know, if you're a boy or a girl, it doesn't matter if you're the undead. Um a young
0: serial killer in the making.
2: I'm a young serial killer in the making to, to feast. I mean, she she does take their money too, but anyway. Um and she cares for him and he cares for her. But she says, Look, I have to go. I can't stay here anymore because of what I've done. And um, what happens is that bully that he like hit real hard has an older brother. And the older brother's from the wrong side of town. And he gets his little hoodlums together and says, okay, here's a knife. You tell me where he is. And uh Oscar is um, you know, trying to better himself. And so he's lifting weights, talking to the teacher, he's taking in an a aquatic aerobics class, because that's what they do in Switzerland. It's indoors, it's away from the snow. And the best scene, and this is a big spoiler alert. So if you haven't watched the movie, pause YouTube. Or the podcast, go watch the movie and come back because <laughs> he's swimming and the guy's telling him, the, the bad bully, get out now. No, no, no. Hold your breath for three minutes. And he's like, I can't hold my breath for three minutes or five minutes or whatever. He says, If you don't, I'm going to cut off your ear or something like that. Your eye. Your eye. I'm going to stick Set. in your. And so he's like, I'm going to die. He closes his eyes. Ellie's left. She had, you know, the cops are after. Closes his eyes, goes underwater, and you watch him, and, and it's like he's going to die. Is the expectation until you see one of those bad boys fall into the pool and go, <laughs> like, like Jaws. And those of you watching on YouTube just saw my finger go <laughs> left and right and back and forth, and it was the freakiest thing to me. And then – um you know, the, the older brother who's wrong side of town is holding Oscar's head and his hand just drops in the water with blood around it. And, you know, cut to the, to the finale. Oh, I forgot. There was another um, tidbit. They learn, um, uh, Morse code so they can tap, uh, on the wall and, and communicate. So Oscar decides I'm going to go with Ellie and, and, you know, take care of her and they're in a train and she's knocking on the box that she's hiding in and he's knocking back at her and off they go into the sunset. Um, Walker, what did you think of the film?
0: <laughs> I, I did not see it in the theater, but I did see it not long after it first came out.
2: Oh, I'm with yeah. you did not see it in the theater.
0: Yeah, I think I saw it I know
2: someone the... who might have. <laughs> I I
0: yeah, could... no,
2: this is
3: actually the first time I've seen it. Oh, I've wow. never yeah. seen it before.
0: Um, And then I, I got the book and read it afterwards. Yeah, cheers to I, you. I was interested in it. Um, Yeah, this is a really interesting movie. I like I had said in our. Chat not something I would just watch for shit and giggles, but... Not a feel-good um, film. Yeah, it's, it's you know, it has all, some disturbing stuff in it. I mean, very understated, because, like, um, Ellie's uh, guardian, Hakan or whatever his name is, no. um, it's questionable, like, why is he with her? You know, you could say that perhaps he is an unsavory gentleman who has an interest in her. That's not, uh, not a good thing, (laughs) you know, it's a little disturbing. Um, And of course, you know, he's a, a, a murderer and then she latches on to Oscar and Oscar has his little notebook with all the murders and things that have happened around. So he has a rather unsavory interest in, in, you know, murder and, Death and things like that, which implies to me that you know he may be just a a serial killer, uh, In the waiting mainstream. to to sprout. Um, but on the other hand, they make you feel very sympathetic towards both Oscar and and Ellie. So it's it, so a it I don't know it messes with you a little bit about where your sympathies should lie because right. the kids the kids that that bully him are such awful people too right there's yeah. there's not a lot of people here to feel really sympathetic towards his parents or neither of them see well his dad seems to have some interest in him his mom i don't know she just seems really busy and focused mm-hmm. elsewhere you know there's not a lot of affection for him um yeah but it's 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 a, a shocker of a movie to sit through Definitely. and the snot and, Oscar's yeah. snot as I brought up in our chat that's another thing that I that's probably the thing that disturbed me the most in this movie <laughs> that kid perpetually having this glaze of snot on his upper lip it's now like in, dude in
2: it's the wild. book did it did it say Oscar had snot. It was, you know... His you know,
0: thing I've, and... I've wiped the memory out, so I don't recall. <laughs> Somebody else can tell us if they've read it
2: recently.
0: <laughs> Put it on Twitter or Facebook or something. There
2: you go.
3: Well, that yeah. might have been just a little bit of uh, inspirational acting by, the, by Oscar. Maybe... Uh, <laughs> Maybe you thought, you know, my character really should have snot coming out of his nose.
0: Well, when I was little and we wanted to freak each other out, my grandmother had this big jar of Depp, the hair gel, and we'd grab some of it and put it under her lip and run out and go, so maybe that's what I
3: No, it was definitely an interesting film. It's like the kind of horror element was kind of few and far between. Right. So it was more like a uh, a youth romance with a twist. But, um, yeah, I mean, I don't think that movie could have been made in this country. Just because there's a lot of, like, taboo subjects, like the the older guy living with her and then the relationship between a couple 12-year-olds and uh, the fact that she's living on her own for a while. And then there's two 12-year-olds on a train heading off to who knows where. Mm-hmm.
2: But, there, there is an American version of the film, uh, and I saw it once, and uh, I don't remember much about it. Probably quite different. Um,
0: I don't think it was all that different, really.
2: I don't think it was all that different. I think that the... And this might just be me that the guy was actually a a past 12 year old friend, lover, whatever, and just grew old. But again, that might just be me kind of filling in the blanks. Um, But otherwise. um, Otherwise, um, yeah, it's not that memorable, so.
0: Well, I know uh, I don't have. I think it's on Showtime. I think last year they tried to make a TV series of it.
2: I I read about that, and it, did they?
0: They did, but I don't know if anybody watched it. I I, uh, <laughs> I haven't. No, I just haven't heard much about it. You know, I I saw they were making it, and it was on the air, but yeah. as far as like people. I haven't heard like people saying, oh, you got to watch this or anything like that.
2: Well, I, and I know there's a Lestat series and yeah, and they actually got a that. second season out of it. I saw some of the first season. I'm a huge Vampire Lestat fan. Um, but yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. I'll have to check it out.
0: Well, that original film is really powerful.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. It's um, not something that you'd watch like every year. It, it's been a decade or so, probably since I saw it, you you watch it and you're like, "Mm, okay, that was interesting. Um, But I, you know, again, I think the tragedy is a child becoming a vampire was part of the allure as well, Mm -hmm. Um, forever locked in that body. But having the knowledge and experience of, you know, several uh, hundred years or. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway,
3: that's the whole thing, too, about when you're bit, however old you were, when you got bit, that's how old you're going to be for,
2: for the rest of eternity until you get staked or whatever. But
0: yeah, that there really actually
2: pretty consistent there actually is. And I can't remember the name of the film, so I probably shouldn't say anything, but you, you get bit and you get back to your, the age process reverses to your like prime age. Hmm. And I, I don't remember. I'm watching so much stuff right now for the podcast. And just because it's Halloween. And speaking of Halloween, before we get into our censor sweep, I think we wanted to do an honorable mention. Oh, yeah.
0: Well, Bob has
2: one more movie. I still have one movie. Bob has one more movie. That's right. Sorry, right. Bob. Take it away. You skipped over me. <laughs> just seemed if you were paying attention. Oh, man.
3: Yeah, no, um I chose a movie that I usually watch every year around Halloween, and it was from 1985. All I can say is, welcome to Fright Night.
2: <laughs> one of my favorite films ever, not just that yes.
3: So Fright Night was written and directed by Tom Holland, but not <laughs> everyone's favorite web swinger. Not that one. It's actually Tom Holland, the older Tom Holland, who uh, wrote and directed The Beast from Within, Psycho 2, Child's Play, hmm. uh, et cetera. And uh, he did this uh, with basically the only a seed of an idea of what if a horror movie fan figured out that his neighbor was a vampire? Hmm. And he kind of like, floated that around for a while. He didn't really know where to go with it until he uh, he met with uh, the head of Columbia Pictures and uh, his name was John Byers and he suggested, well, if you were a horror fan and your neighbor was a vampire, who would you go to? Well, you'd go to Vincent Price, right? So that was the idea. You know, you'd go Find a horror movie actor. Obviously, Vincent Price was not available for this movie, so they got Roddy McDowell, who has excellent the role. Yeah, and uh, they name him Peter Vincent. <laughs> Peter from Peter Cushing, Vincent from Vincent Price. So he's sort of a combination of Peter Cushing and Vincent Price, and he's a washed-up horror movie actor who played Van Helsing-type characters in the films. And now he's a horror movie host. And, of course, we're all just very well familiar with all these different horror movie hosts that are around. In fact, we've had a few on the show. Mm -hmm. So uh, he goes to Peter Vincent to help him out. You got to help me out. My neighbor's a vampire. And, of course, he doesn't believe it. So he calls up the neighbor... Or actually, sorry, his two friends, it was Amy and Evil Ed, they go and convince Peter Vincent to help, mainly with a bribe from Amy. She had like a stock or bond or something. It was like $500, and she gave that to him to help out. So what he did was he called the vampire and said, look, I need to do this. I'm going to bring over... Well, first, he was going to bring over a cross, saying, all I need you to do is just grab the cross. Obviously, he can't do that. So he says, well, I'm very religious. I can't I can't do that. That would be sacrilegious. So he says, well, what if I brought over a vial of holy water? And he's like, oh, I don't know. It's still," and he says, well, it won't be holy water. So it's going to be regular water in a, in a vial. Okay, I can do that. So... He goes over there with Charlie, who's the horror movie, or the horror host, uh, sorry, the horror fan, and his two friends, and they go up to the vampire, and, of course, he drinks the holy water, nothing happens. So, of course, Charlie is still not convinced that he's not a vampire, but Peter Vincent tells him, you know, this is it. I have performed the test, and he's not a vampire. So as he's like going out of the house and the vampire still talking to Charlie and his friends, he pulls out a mirror, well, fold out mirror. And he looks and there's no reflection. <laughs> so he really is a vampire. So, of course, Peter Vincent runs out of the house, gets in his car. I'm out of here. Off he goes. He's getting ready to pack up and leave. And... uh In the meantime, the vampire kidnaps his girlfriend Amy and tells him, you need to come to the house tomorrow at at at, uh, sunset with Peter Vincent if you want to see your girlfriend again. So he goes out, finds Peter Vincent. Peter Vincent wants nothing to do with it until he convinces him, hey, uh, you know, Amy's in trouble, blah, blah, blah. So they basically go and they team up and have to go after the vampire. But, um, this is a very fine line between seriousness and comedy and, uh, evil Ed is just, you know, he ends up becoming a vampire, becoming one of his minion. And, uh, again, he's just hilarious, you know, with the, the way he talks and the way he, uh, interacts. And then, um, Amy is played by Amanda Bierce, very Hmm. young Amanda Bierce, who would go on to play Marcy Darcy in uh, Married and Children. Yeah, And, you know, I think William, William Ragsdale played Charlie Brewster. And I read, interestingly enough, that he also plays a priest in the recent film, Redfield. So he's, He's you brought were right. into what's that? You were yes. right. Yep. Yeah. So he's still in the horror genre.
2: You know, the guy games. that played Dandridge, the the vampire.
3: Uh Sarandon? He did yes. the voice, he did the voice of Jack Skellington in Nightmare Before Christmas.
2: I thought uh, well anyway, um uh yeah, Chris Sarandon plays the vampire. Yeah, yeah, he was in The Sentinel. We watched that the other night, and I was like, hey, that's Nandridge.
0: And he's Susan Sarandon's brother. It's there all connected. There you
2: go. Hey, it's
0: all connected.
3: We've come full circle.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> no doves in Fright Night, though.
2: No doves in Fright Night.
3: Zero I mean, doves. There, there are some great lines. That, you know, even, even the whole thing where Peter Vincent comes up with a cross and holds it, back spawn of evil, you know, like getting getting into his character. And uh, danders just laughs and says, you have to have faith for that to work, Mr. Vincent. And just like grabs it and crushes it. But then Charlie jumps up with one. And it affects him because I guess Charlie had, he believed he had the yeah. faith. But, uh, Great it
2: movie.
3: Very, very funny film. It um, holds up today. Yep. So I have since I did watch it for this, I don't have to watch it again for Halloween. But
2: I can move <laughs> um, on to some other Halloween. I've been so. looking for Fright Night Part Two, and um, I've had... and it
3: was also a remake in like 2011. But Ooh. I hadn't bothered with either one. So yeah, I it, It's yeah. You know,
0: this was one of those movies that eluded me when it first came out and i don't think i saw it until maybe i don't know 10 years ago or so
3: Hmm.
0: um was like the first time i saw it and i was really surprised because it was like oh it's got roddy mcdowell who you know being a big apes fan i like to see whatever he's in so i was really surprised that somehow i it just never got on my radar and then i saw it it was like oh it's a pretty good movie you know so i don't know how it it is just never got to me until, you know, recently.
3: Yeah, I was reading some comments by Roddy McDowell, the fact that uh, at first he didn't really want to do it, but then he thought, oh, you know, I can put a certain slant on this. And he was also, he liked the idea of shooting the scenes from Peter Vincent's old films, where he's in his 20s and, you know, staking vampires. And then it would go on to where he would, be an old man, old man makeup in his retired years when he was washed up and hosting Fright Night on TV. So uh, so they definitely got in and started watching it.
2: Very cool. And supposedly
3: at one point, uh, Roddy McDowell invited Tom Holland over to his house to a party and Vincent Price was there. (laughs) and yeah they told vincent price that yeah the character peter vincent was based on him and you know part of his name came from some vincent and vincent price and uh he said he loved the movie and he loved what roddy did in the film and all that so uh definitely got his stamp of approval
2: that's cool very cool Well, I apologize, Bob. I I can't believe I forgot one of my favorite films of all time, your (laughs) second pick. Um, It is that time, though. We will very briefly, maybe a minute each, share our honorary mention for vampire films. And again, this isn't necessarily our favorite vampire film, but we're... Picking films that we thought were different and/or interesting. So um, let's kick it back up to the satellite. Karen, do you have a honorable mention that didn't make it into the?
0: I I do, and as we as we talked about right before the show, I don't know why, but for some reason, I mentally excluded all Hammer and Universal films when we were doing this. I think because we've done multiple. Separate episodes on those topics, and we just did Christopher Lee a few months ago. So, um, I, I kind of put those to the side. Um, but I love all of those great hammer films, and of course, Universal mainly it's Dracula, but anyway, um, my honorable mention is from 1970 and it's a film called Count Yorga. Oh. And Count Yorga uh, has a long history I won't go into here, but basically started out as a soft porn film and then turned into a horror film. (laughs) Uh, And I think an effective one. It it was one of those films that I remember as a kid watching on a late night movie and doing one of those constant turnarounds and (laughs) really creeped out. So uh, I will definitely recommend it as sort of a very low budget, creepy Vampire
2: movie. Awesome. My honorary mention in in thinking of our friend will the thrill of a horror. Oh God, Santo. <laughs> Santo versus las mujeres vampiro, and uh, Santo is a world famous luchador. Uh, the movie was from nineteen uh, what fifties, and um, just uh, has our favorite luchador vam- <laughs> battling uh, female vampires. So if you get a chance, check it, it out. It
3: don't get much better than that. That's <laughs> right,
2: Bob. What are you going to regale us with for your honorable
3: Uh Yeah, there were two or three films I could have mentioned, but uh, one I thought it was pretty good and quite interesting was Thirty Days of Night. And that one is uh, the whole concept is that, you know, when you get closer to the North Pole and you're not at the equator and basically you get these nights that last for 30 30 days. And so the idea is that there's a whole colony of vampires up there because, hey, we don't have to come out for 8 to 12 hours, go back in. We got free reign for 30 days, <laughs> and the people of the city or the town have to survive for those 30 days. And uh, yeah, it's easy, and it's one thing to be able to survive a night, and then they're all in their coffins, and you can you know plot your event, your vengeance, or whatever, but stake them out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if it's 30 days straight, yeah, you know, that's it, there's no rest. Watch out but uh, it was that. And I was also talking just before the podcast about a hammer film called lust for a vampire. And that was, uh, it was showing on channel 44 here as, as I was growing up under the title to love a vampire. And it was, you know, kind of a sexy type vampire film. Uh, Yude Stensgaard. who was like a a Swedish model. uh, She was a star and Anthony Bates was also in there. another, hammer actor and you know I was like, okay I remember that I kind of I kind of enjoyed it so I bought the DVD later on which was under the original title Lust for a Vampire and it was quite a different movie <laughs> <laughs> skinny dipping and lesbian sex and nudity and all. Oh, it's my. like this was not the movie I remember on channel 44 growing up <laughs> but uh yeah wow still a good movie but it was like the sequel to The Vampire Lovers, I think, with Ingrid Pitt.
2: Interesting. So. All right. Well, my friends, share with us some of your favorite vampire films. Maybe not favorite, but what you think are interesting and or different. Our social media accounts, Facebook, Twitter, A comment on YouTube. Um, we're going to jump into our censor sweep. Uh, Bob, why don't you start us off? What do you got to share with us this week?
3: Well, I think, uh, you know, we're we're running into a very long episode again. So keep it (laughs) keep it quick, short. Being the Halloween season, and I I usually watch a bunch of movies, you know, leading up to Halloween or Halloween episodes of TV shows. And you can check both those episodes of Planet 8 out uh, where we talk about all that. This year, I'm reading a book. Read mm. a Human Book. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a gothic fantasy series of books. And this one is all on Asian ghost short stories. And uh it's a nice thick hardcover. And uh, it basically has short stories from Japan, China, Korea, and throughout Asia. And uh, I've read the first few and they're actually very good It's it's a very different dynamic compared to ghost stories you'd have here in the us so uh very interesting and i'll be reading that leading up to our favorite holiday
2: halloween yes indeed let's kick it up to the satellite walker what do you got for us well you have a book as well Candy. Another blooming boot.
0: Um, oh, don't forget your candy this year, kids. <laughs> it's important to keep traditions alive. You know, I
2: agree. no,
0: no crayons or other crap. Give out candy. <laughs> um, I have a book. I was inspired by our good friend, Bill, uh, also known as Spy Vinyl on uh, Twitter. I wonderful person. To- He's a great guy. And uh, he just got a copy of this book. And I was like, oh, gosh, I have that book. And I pulled it out and started looking at it. Now, you may not be able to see it too well on the YouTubers because I have my virtual background on. Uh, but it
2: disappeared.
0: This is the Universal Studios Monsters, A Legacy of Horror by Michael Mallory. Uh, This came out a few years back, but it's still just a fantastic reference material. Um, Fun to just read. And it's got beautiful pictures from all the films in it has a lot of backstory and and uh, descriptions of all the different films. And so if you're in that universal monsters mood and who wouldn't be around Halloween, um, it's a great book. And a lot of times you can find it on like Amazon. But uh, I have also noticed a lot of times in the bookstores, especially this time of year, they may have it even in like the half price bins. So. Just wow. keep your eyes open.
2: I Come love in. that book.
0: It's yeah. it's a great book. Yeah, it's a lot of fun.
3: Yeah, Half Price Books and uh, even deepdiscount.com.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: A lot of times have really good Excellent prices.
2: Resources.
3: Thrift
0: books. books. Yeah, Thrift Books is another good one, too.
2: Hey, And like you said, you know, this is our favorite time of the year. This is the national holiday for Planet 8, Halloween. So, um you know, uh, Walker pulled up some Kit Kat candy. Make sure you got your trick or treaters. We would love for you to share some pictures of your your decorations. Um, you know, the the trick or treaters coming by, some of the cool costumes. You can comment on our Facebook, on our our Twitter. Share those photos with us. Um, come our November eighth episode, we're going to show some video and some pictures of our. Uh, setups for, for Halloween. Um, it's going to be difficult for Karen up in the satellite <laughs> to do too much.
3: I was going to say. She's yes, got already. one of those like 12-foot Home Depot skeletons just kind of like on a tether
2: floating outside.
0: <laughs> <a laughs> in zero. Well,
2: <laughs> let, let me say, one of the most impressive uh, yards decorated when you had that UFO crash uh, when you Crashed went down in Alameda. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, that, was, was that was
0: impressive. Nice. That was that was really cool. We had that crashed UFO in the yard, and people and, really. And you liked couldn't that. buy
2: it. I mean, Walker just made it. So we,
0: yeah, I, 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 that was a whole lot of little scraps of wood and foil and uh, prayers. Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, yeah, okay. my daughter and I did a UFO thing too. In fact, I don't know if you can see it. It's, I got the UFO hanging up in the rafters here. There it is. You can kind of see it with the lights going around it. Oh, nice. I can't get this camera up high enough to get a full view, but that was made with like two snow discs put together with a hamster ball cut in half, top and bottom, strobe on one side, light on the other, and then a rope light around the perimeter that just makes that chasing thing and put it on a big black stick and put it up on my roof. So it looked like it was
2: hovering above the house. That's cool. So, awesome. So, yeah. Uh, come November eighth, we'll have our regular podcast. Stay tuned for what that's going to be, and then we'll have some cool shots of of decorations and trick or treaters and all that. You just- know, what we could do
3: if people put their Halloween displays on social our social media, and there's some that are pretty impressive maybe we can show theirs too on that episode
2: put it out there kids so submit your submit videos and your November pictures and
3: we'll, we'll throw a little something together a little something, something.
2: indeed your mission commander was very fortunate to uh, be invited to go and see sir patrick stewart in san francisco thank you very much to jeff Winkle and Lauren, um, who who uh, alerted me to his visit. Um, Not only uh, were they able to score awesome ticket for me, like right literally center row for those of you on YouTube. They gave out a copy of his autobiography and um, he spoke for about an hour and a half. Um, he came from humble beginnings. His family was very poor. His father uh, fought in World War II. Matter of fact, he was one of the soldiers that kind of helped get the British version of paratroopers together. And, um, he regaled us with stories of, of his friend, Ian McKellen, you know, the, the cast of the next generation. He also talked about, uh, Ringo and, and, um, you know what's so funny is he oh. forgot Ringo's name when he was talking to us. And I forgot Paul's name <laughs> as I'm talking to you guys. So I'm in good company. But um they're knighted as well. And he was saying, you know, he doesn't want to be a prude, but Sir Patrick means something to him because he was a poor little boy that lo- you know, lived in a one-up, one-down little flat in you know, the northern part of England. And, and you know, now here he is, the knight of the realm. Uh anyway, uh Thank you again, Jeff and Lauren. Not only did everybody got a book who who purchased those uh, tickets in the bottom level. There was a balcony level, no books. Um, they they got him to personalize, not just sign, but personalize. And I'm, I have that up to the camera for those of you that need to jump over to YouTube.
0: Very nice. Uh, a,
2: a, you know, I I saw Anthony Daniels a couple of years ago, and he it was a small bookstore in San Francisco, and he signed books but he wouldn't personalize because it would take too long this is a treasure um eventually we've talked about this for months if not a year or two to have jeff on the show Uh, we will have him on and um he can regale you with all the stories of mask making and model building my my wife is a craft person and we went to visit jeff's garage and he had three 3d makers and she's like oh my god that's the whatever, whatever, 3000 and she knew all that stuff. So um, uh, anyway, that was your mission commander's uh, adventure out in San Francisco on a Sunday night, walking through parts of San Francisco. You don't want to walk through at 10 o'clock at night, <laughs> but um, Most it was. school night.
0: So sure
2: it, yeah, <laughs> right. Anyway, my friends, it is always a pleasure for you to invite us into your speakers, your computers, your video monitors, however you experience Planet 8 podcast. Happy Halloween. I hope you have a plethora of trick-or-treaters. If you yourself are a trick-or-treater, I hope you get a lot of good candies and surprises. You know, we decorated last year for the first time in a long time, and my mother was so excited, she ordered YooHoo for the kids. So we were handing out (laughs) you who's and and, and, you know, we'll talk about it next episode uh, when we when we show our our decorations and stuff. Uh, But you guys stay safe. Take care of yourselves. Be good to each other until we meet again. Planet eight signing off. And trick or treat and trick or treat. On that note, this will conclude this transmission from Planet 8. We would like to thank all of our intergalactic audience for listening. Be sure to head on over to our website at www.planetatepodcast.com where you can get more information on this episode's topic.
0: For more conversation, find us on Twitter at Planet 8cast
2: or on Facebook at
3: facebookcom Podcast.
2: We want to thank you guys for tuning in each and every episode. We look forward to your input and opinions. Until next time, this is Planet 8 signing off. End transmission. By George, he's got it. It is the end.